everyone, this is The Week Ahead. I'm Tony Nash. Uh, we're joined today by Tracy Shukart, Sam Rhymes, and Albert Marco. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to like and subscribe. Also, please note, this is the last weekend for our CI Futures pro- promo, $50 a month uh, for thousands of assets reforecast weekly. So please go to completeintel.com slash promo, subscribe for $50 a month, and you will get global market and economic information. Um, thanks for that. So guys, this week, a little bit exciting. Um, we have a few key themes that we're looking at this week. Two of them are earnings related. One is cogs in the machine, which is related to a newsletter that Sam Ryan's put out today. Um, the other one is tech. And uh, the last thing we're looking at is the Europe gas ruble chaos. So Sam, uh, you wrote a piece today on business costs and uncertainty weighing on earnings. So can you walk us through this? We've got uh, a couple of slides from your um, newsletter up. One is Caterpillar earnings. Maybe you could walk us through that first uh, and then we'll go to the old Dominion uh, earnings and, uh, and walk through why those are so important. Well, I, I, I think it's really interesting uh, to kind of at least be able to get some real world understanding of what's happening on the ground, right? We all know wages are going up. We know costs are going up. We know shipping costs are going up. But how is that actually, you know, how that was actually going to be reflected through earnings season was somewhat of an unknown, right? We knew it was going to affect, but we didn't know to what extent. The interesting part about Caterpillar, and one of the reasons I like to point it out, is that they had they had pricing power, right? They, they pushed price pretty heavily. Uh, down the system. The problem for them was that they couldn't push price as much as their materials and shipping costs went up. It was simply too big of a headwind, at least for the first quarter. Uh, you know, they, their orders are fine. You know, the business itself is okay. Uh, but generally what we saw was pricing power not, you know, there were a few, but pricing power generally unable to keep up with the uh, cost pressures uh, overall. Uh, the the one that's really interesting and kind of related to Caterpillar, and I'll do this very quickly, is Polaris. Uh, Polaris is one of the most interesting companies. It's consumer facing, yet it's a manufacturer. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, you don't need a new side-by-side typically. You don't need, right? These aren't needs. These are more of a discretionary spend. You know, they had a very similar problem to Caterpillar. Uh, but the the end market user for these, very similar to Harley-Davidson, that was another one that had issues, the inventories are extraordinarily low, right? Their mm-hmm. inventory levels at dealerships are very low. So eventually when they are able to actually pick up their production, they're going to be able to push up you know, their production numbers pretty significantly just to be able to refill the inventory pipeline at their dealership. So it, it, while it's a big headwind today, it's worth watching, you know, call it nine to 18 months down the road when you begin to see signs of, these material costs abating, you know, the supply chains getting back to normal. Those companies are going to be able to put up some pretty interesting numbers very, very quickly. So Sam, will they will they leak in gradual price rises? Because it doesn't sound like they've been able to do it all at once, but will they continue to raise prices, prices even as say the primary factors of inflation start to abate a little bit? Oh yes. That's that's been a constant theme of this of this earnings season has been you know, we will continue to either try to find ways to squeeze costs out of the supply chain, normalize those somewhat, but more, but, you know, almost more emphasized was there will be price increases to offset all of this, right? To your point on Old Dominion, 
they just they just tossed on you know fuel surcharges. If 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 you're going to have if you're going to have problems with freight, you know, fine, but we're going to surcharge you on fuel. And you know, they only pushed about a you know it was about fifty percent of their overall gain and year over year was pure surcharge. So it was an interesting one. And fuel charges are sticky, right? They don't take those off right when fuel prices go down. They keep those for a year after the prices go down, right? Correct. Right. It's it's kind of the it's the interesting part about all of this is, you know, these price increases are not going to be reversed, right? Caterpillar is not going to take off their price increases. Polaris probably isn't going to take off some of their price increases. Old Dominion, unlikely in the near term. It's these are going to be fairly sticky over time. Okay. So yeah. last week when both you and Tracy weren't here and Albert and I did the heavy lifting to keep the show going, um, we talked about sticky prices and we talked about how we've really hit new pricing levels. Even if the rate of inflation slows down, we've, we've really hit new pricing levels. Is that semi-permanent? Is that permanent or is that transitory? It's like a, it's a step function, right? Okay. You step up and then you, you know, you're not, you're not going to step back down. Uh, you step up the price increases and then maybe you can trickle, you know, two or 3% inflation on top of that going forward. But it's step functions do, do not reverse. And I would say that this is much more of a step function type deal. Okay. Good news. Tracy, you were going to add. Yeah, I was just going to add, I mean, uh, the uh, business survey, the Fed business survey came out small business survey came out this week and they were looking at it and four out of 10 small businesses said they were looking at price increases of 10% or more. Mm. So um, this is across the board, not just for, you know, mega cap companies. Right. Yeah. And even since I talk about coffee so much, even the, one of the small coffee roasters who I know, he said his costs had risen 50% over the last year. And he was only to a, able to put in a 20 to 25% price rise. But I'm certain that he's going to continue to gradually work price rises in over the next year or two as we've hit this kind of plateau or at least step function uh, in price rises. So uh, good news all around, right? So as we stay on COG, Sam, um, you had a portion in your newsletter uh, talking about uh, Meta. Um, and we've got that on screen talking about their GNA increase. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so I, I I thought it was pretty interesting that you know they they hired twenty they increased their employee their employee base by twenty eight percent year over year. I mean, this whole idea that you know you know hiring is tough apparently it wasn't for Meta, uh, but you know the, but the funny part is or not funny but GNA was up forty five, so you hired twenty eight percent more people but GNA popped forty five. That's 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 a step that's again that's a step up that probably isn't going to step down anytime soon unless they're going to begin laying people off, right? You know, right. that'll maybe it'll roll out of earnings next year, but it's not going well, to we've be. seen some tech layoffs, right? Some announced but, over the past week. It's not like it's a it's not a huge trend yet, but we've seen a few. Yeah. And the the other important part that I think was overlooked was Snapchat, Facebook, when or Meta, whatever you want to call it. When they announced earnings, they they cited that listen, when you have inflationary pressures, wage pressures, and you're a small business, Guess where the discretionary spend is? That's marketing budgets. Marketing budgets will get cut and get cut fairly dramatically and fairly quickly if you continue to have this, right? And not to mention, if you don't have stuff to sell and you continue to have supply chain issues, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to spend a lot of money on marketing. So I think those two really raised some red flags that I think were 
is subtly overlooked uh, by a lot of uh, by a lot of people sitting on. Well, the we talked about this last week. How a lot of ad inventory is likely to come online soon. So there's a supply problem and a demand problem with those yeah. uh, those companies going forward. I think the 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 names that come to mind will probably do fine. The smaller names are probably going to suffer. So it, it might be tough. Albert, on that. Um, we saw Facebook turn dramatically this week um, in the last half of the week after they reported earnings. KWeb was up 7% today, a stock that we talked about here a few weeks ago. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, Amazon, Pinterest, and others disappointed. So tech was a sector-wide play in 2021. It's not really that anymore, is it? Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, the problem with the, the, the problem with tech is that there's about a dozen names that the Fed uses to pump the market. So uh, forget about Pinterest. You know, that's too small of a company. We're really looking at Google, Facebook, or Meta, whatever you want to call it. Um, not so much Amazon, but the other ones like AMD and whatnot. So, you know, those they're going to yo-yo those earnings and those and those pumps. So what they'll do is they'll wait till. Netflix, <laughs> they know that Netflix will uh, miss and they'll pump the market to soften the blow. And then they know that Apple's going to beat. So they'll, they'll, you know, let the market sell off and then use that to drive up to drive up the market. So it's just, a, this is just a cat and mouse game by, by the Fed to just, you know, manipulate the markets into like, you know, what they've been saying is soft landing. Um, the tech earnings are just playing right into that, you know, into that narrative of theirs, you know, they know them, they know what the earnings are beforehand and they just play the market like that. So going on with tech earnings. Yeah. I mean, they are weak. I mean, that's, we can see that they are incredibly weak. Um, will they be weak for the whole year? I, you know, I really don't know. They really do like the NASDAQ. So, you know, I, I personally wouldn't want to be short uh, tech going into the summer, but that's just my personal opinion. But then you go, know, you see KWeb absolutely surge because the Chinese, you know, start talking it's about on subsidies, right? And, and yeah. government activity. It is what it, it is, what it is. And you don't, you never know what type of government contracts, Meta or, you know, Google or whatnot, will start popping into their, uh, into their uh, bookkeeping. So you just, you know, it's, it's, it's a really dangerous game to, to, um, to short tech, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's interesting to me to see the users numbers like at Netflix, and I know this is a couple of weeks old now, but Netflix go down, Pinterest go down, you know, Snapchat, these sorts of things. Uh, Amazon was kind of tepid, but Facebook was was really good. So we're, I think we're really seeing almost some elasticity in some of these markets as we see people going back to work and we see other things happening. Um, we're finding out who's going to be there no matter what and whose demand is a little bit flexible. Yeah. And then you'll also find that some of these tech companies will look, you know, look to acquisitions to boost their user numbers going into the fall. So this is why I really don't like to short tech at this, at these levels right here. By the way, if anybody's looking for a tech acquisition right here, you're totally <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. $46 so, billion. Come on. Yeah, that? A cool 46 billion will do it. That's Come right. On. Any day of the week, you just give me a call. Um, okay. Let's move on to commodities. Tracy, uh, um, you know, there have been a lot of issues in Europe with, um, with the, the ruble, as we've seen more countries uh, decide to pay for oil and gas in rubles. Uh, we've seen some interesting action with the euro and the ruble and with gas prices. Can you talk us through what's going on there? And really, what does it mean? Um, because we've seen the price action, but what, what do you see it kind of meaning going forward? I mean, really what it means is, you know, Europe's not directly paying in rubles, right? What they're going to do is they're going to set up an account at Gazprom Bank. 
Um, they will still continue to pay in euros, dollars, local currency. Um, in turn, Gazprom Bank will uh, convert that currency in a separate account. So it's not technically against sanctions. <laughs> it's a workaround, right? Um, the, the interesting thing is, you know, the um, EU really doesn't have a choice. I mean, to be quite honest, 67% of their NAT, they depend on Russia for 67% of their NAT gas. They don't have LNG storage facilities built out. Those are going to take at least two to four years. I don't care what they say next year. It's not going to happen. Those things take a very long time. So right now they're really kind of being held hostage by Russians. So they're, you know, they're going to have to pay as much as they don't want to. Now they can wean themselves off of Russian oil a lot quicker. Um, cause you can have, you know, you can have the Middle East pick up that slack, um, and they don't really import all that much, right? I mean, it depends on the country, but I mean, it's not, uh, Europe's not really a huge source of oil exports for, for Russia. So, you know, that can happen. And so uh, for what I foresee, they'll probably do that, uh, you know, just so that they say we're getting rid of Russian energy right so sure. i think you'll, you'll see russian russian oil cuts i think that you know that can be done relatively quickly but as far as that gas i think it's going to take a lot longer than most think even though they said they wanted um two-thirds uh they wanted two-thirds off by the end of 2022 and then completely out of russian gas by 2027 um again yeah. i think that's going to take a, a lot longer than they anticipate yeah. Um, can you imagine the conversion fees that Russian banks are charging for euro to ruble? I mean, oh, we'll never know, make, right? They're going to make a, so much. Banks are going to make money. Um, it's good for Russia, right? That keeps their currency stable and it keeps their economy stable. And so, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a win for Russia on, on this because yeah. their banks are winning <laughs> and their currency and economy is winning on this one. Yep. So we also had a, an emergency kind of this week with Russia saying they would turn off gas to Poland and they did. And but but Poland really has taken other measures since the war started to get other sources of gas. So it really didn't hurt them all that much, did it? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, and the, it was uh, Poland and Belarus, but mm -hmm. um, they were or, uh, Bulgaria. Sorry. Oh. Um, They're very adamant from the beginning to get out of Russian gas. They also don't rely on it as much as say Germany does. Right. Um, Poland already built out an LNG storage facility tank that's completed. They also produce a lot of coal and they use a lot of coal. And so um, it was, you know, it, that was not a that was not a surprise to me and nor did it really uh, hurt those countries very much. Right. So what what country I think what country do you think is in the most difficult position right now is it germany germany for hands down okay hands down you know and it, it, it's a you know a lot of the reasons is because they don't really have any other pipelines into mm. germany aside and from russia <laughs> so you know you have you know countries like um greece and italy and spain that have you know pipelines from uh you know israel uh and Algeria, africa wherever. so Exactly. And so you don't really have, they don't have any storage facilities and they don't have any other pipelines except right. for from Russia. So they're definitely in the weakest position right now. 
So, okay. So guys, what do we expect like with the ruble going forward? It's, it's hit its pre-war levels. Do we expect the ruble to strengthen? Um, it, uh, right now I, yes, I think that it probably will continue to strengthen just because they're asking for payments of commodities in the ruble and not, they're not asking. Well, yes, they're holding hostage (laughs) commodities, but it's not just, in other words, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just, uh, the energy complex, right. It's metals, agriculture, et cetera. So, um, you know, I definitely think that, that we'll probably see that continue to strengthen. Okay. Hey, um, I also wanted to ask you about fertilizer. I saw some of the fertilizer stocks come off a bit this week. I know that we've talked about fertilizer before. Is it still as urgent of an issue as it was, say, three weeks ago? And if it is, why are fertilizer stocks coming, you know, falling this week? Well, I think that's a little, you know, I think it's because, you know, I think partially because we saw kind of nat gas pull back a, a bit, right? And um, so that kind of alleviated the pressure. We also saw the broader market sell off, which basically means, you know, sell what you have to if you get a margin call, right? right. <laughs> um, and um, and you had something like IPI whose earnings were mm, uh, not as as good as they could have been. Right. Uh, okay. Considering. So it's kind of a combination of everything. Yeah. And you are and you are beginning to see signs of demand destruction as well. Uh, there was an announcement by a Brazilian uh, farming uh, giant that they were going to cut their fertilizer usage by 25 or more uh, percent wow. this year. So yeah, yields down, fertilizer up. Not, wow. not to mention the good old dollar, you know, looking like it's going to go to 110 on the Dixie, <laughs> causing a problem everywhere. So what do you think about that, Albert? When, how long, what's the time horizon for 110? I think I think we get that within the next two months. Yellen is on a Yellen's on a on a mission to destroy emerging markets, and she's going to do it with the dollar. She did this in 2013 under you know when she was uh, Fed chair. So I mean, it's the same playbook. It's nothing new. So if the dollar does hit 110, does it stay there for a period of time, or is it just kind of marking territory, saying we can do this again if you don't behave? I think it just, I think it's, I think it's a, you know, moment and a moment in time, I, you know, keeping, keeping the, keeping the dollar at 110 is going to cause, I mean, really big problems across the world. So they can't really okay. keep it there too long, but they can, you know, even, you know, China talking about stimulus, uh, 109 causes a problem for China, you know, so right. it's, uh, you know, it, it's quite, it's quite an event to see that happen. Yeah. And, and- yeah, into Albert's into Albert's point, and I think this is incredibly important. Is China has to buy food, right? And they're buying. You know, you've seen the rip lower on uh, RMB CNY. I mean, that thing has gotten crushed over the last week, yes, and they're still has. buying. They're still buying corn and soybeans from the U.S. in mass, right? And that is going. That's getting much more expensive very, very quickly, and. Uh, that's that's gonna, got it. that's gonna be a problem. The yeah. only thing that's helping them right now is that their entire country is locked down, right? I mean, that's not that, purpose. That's, uh, right. Well, yeah, yeah. They one could argue that, not. but I mean, that's the only thing that's helping. You know, slow the blow and you know, kind of making these commodities pull back a bit, yeah, so they're not as expensive. But Xi Dada's got to make some money to feed his people, right? Otherwise, you're gonna have you know, Mao 1961 all over again. Oh, I mean, what he's doing, what he's doing is insane. I have, you yeah. know, don't, don't starve your people. So, you know, right. 
obviously there's ulterior motives going on there. Yeah. So maybe we'll talk more about China next week. So, okay, good. <laughs> let's, let's have a week ahead lightning round, guys. What are you looking at kind of most interestingly for the week ahead? Sam, if you can go first, what are, kind of what's at the top of your mind right now for the week ahead? Uh, top of my mind is going to be energy company earnings and what they're saying about uh, their production, uh, whether they're upping Permian, you know, where, where they're getting production from, how they're doing it, if they're doing it, uh, whether or not CapEx budgets are moving higher, how they're moving higher and where, uh, and then any comments on you know, labor, pipe, uh, concrete, et cetera, I think will be very, very interesting uh, as we go through next week. I think you stole Tracy's answer, though. Right. That's exactly what I'm looking at. You know, I expect to look at, I expect that uh, production probably has not increased that much um, because I think they have, they're having labor issues and uh, supply chain issues definitely have not gotten any better, if not 10 times worse. Yeah. So. Um, that's, you know, what I'm looking forward to. Also, uh, always keeping an eye on China, how many, you know, Beijing just locked down or partially locked down. So, you know, how many more, um, you know, how many more cities are we going to have? How many more states are we going to have? How many more people are going to be locked down and, you know, for how long? Um, Because that's really going to affect the commodity commodities market in the midterm. But that said, you know, if you look at uh, the commodity complex, I mean, we're still, you know, over a hundred dollars. I mean, you know, we're at like 104. <laughs> so it's still holding strong, even though we've had a lot of demand. Um, they, they say about a million, a million and a half barrels per day of China demand is all, kind of off the market right now. So yeah. So if they come back online, it's, it's game on, right? Yes. All right. And Albert, what are you looking at for the week ahead? Probably the most dovish sounding 50 basis point rate hike you'll ever hear from the Fed. (laughs) (laughs) If you did this and we're sorry. (laughs) I mean, if they want to, if they want to break this market down, you know, sub 4,000, go ahead and try to talk hawkish, but you know, really, uh, you know, I don't think they really want to do that. So, you know, Jerome will just, you know, put his foot in his mouth like usual and, you know, say something stupid, but it'll be dovish. That's what I'm watching. Sam, Fed guy, what, what do you think? Same. I, 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 I think the same. Hey, listen, if I think they're going to try to avoid talking too much about another fifty basis points hike, they're going to try to they're going to try to get away from providing clear forward guidance and be incredibly vague. Because if they're vague about what they're going to do, then it's going to be perceived as dovish. So uh, agree with Albert, right? You that, get a right. You get a 50 basis point hike and then a, eh, we're not sure what we're going to do next. Right? Well, you know, I, I mean, they, somebody brought up a like 75 basis point hike, you know, this week and the Fed was like, no, we're not even considering yeah. that. So, <laughs> yeah, exciting. Sounds really exciting. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Tony.